Hey friends, before we start the show, I want to let you know about a non-toxic beauty summit happening free online March 9th through the 15th. Listen, as women, we are putting over 515 toxic chemicals on our body every single day. Our children, our babies are being born with over 200 toxic chemicals in them before they ever take their first breath. Toxins are the number one thing that age us. In the summit, there's going to be over 50 experts coming to you, telling you how to identify toxins in beauty products and procedures, how to transition to self-love and body acceptance, using diet and detox to build your beauty, and how to age gracefully both inside and out. Grab your free registration at bit.ly forward slash summit. 202. Welcome to the Toxin Terminator, helping people to restore and renew their health by removing the toxins from the home and their lives. Join in as industry thought leaders help you understand the physical and emotional effects these products can have on you and your family, and the safe alternatives you can use to remove the hidden toxins for renewed health. Now, please welcome your host, the Toxin Terminator herself, Amy Carlson. All right, and welcome back. Tonight, we have got just a dynamic speaker. She is such a wealth of information, and I know you guys are going to love her. She is a physician. She is the former head of the Eating Disorders and Integrative Medicine Department at the world-renowned Sierra Tucson Treatment Center. She is a nationally known speaker author, and an expert in the field of eating disorders and integrative medicine. And let me tell you, she has some stories and she has so much life experience in dealing with mental issues, with struggles, with the addictions and with disorders that we have, talking behaviors, we're talking stress. We're going to get into all of that. Now, she is also the CEO and instructor of an online program that's 12 weeks long, and it's called the Anchor Program. And I'm going to let her talk about that tonight and also anything else that she would like to promote. She has a very different approach when she's dealing with people that she wants to look at all of you, not just just a portion of you. We're going to look at the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Please help me welcome Dr. Carolyn Coker-Ross to our show. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. Thanks so much for having me on. It's a pleasure. You bet. So talk to us because you've kind of had some morphing throughout time on what your area of focus and you've had certain things really kind of play into how that's shifted for you in life. Would you like to share a little bit about that? Sure. I started out, you know, just working in general medicine and also in the emergency room And, you know, just found that really it's a very difficult and challenging job, particularly being in the emergency room because it's so stressful. You go from like resting in your room, you know, to running codes and trying to save lives. So I kind of realized early on that I have a sensitivity to really extreme stress. So I ended up transitioning. I don't think I left the stress behind, though. I think that's (laughs) my personality. (laughs) Sadly, it followed me. (laughs) Well, stress. And doctor. Yeah, kind of go hand in hand. They they? do, they do. 
what ended up happening is I ended up going, I did my residency in preventive medicine and I'm also board certified in addiction medicine, but I for a long time had a general medicine and office gynecology women's centers in San Diego. I had three women's centers. So I've really always enjoyed working with women. Okay, And so I did that for a number of years and I developed a unique concept where most everything that a woman needs, except for delivering a baby, could be done in my center. Because I myself was tired of going to OB for this and dermatology for that and cardiology for that and so on. So that was wonderful. It was a great experience, but it was, you know, really, I kind of got a little burned out with it. Okay. And right around that time, I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia. And so as you and I were talking, I have a suspicion that some of the numerous toxins that were exposed to in medicine probably didn't help. And then also just the stress of running, you know, two big practices and Mm -hmm. being a single mom and, you know, blah, blah. So (laughs) it weighs heavy on the body. (laughs) Yes, it does. So I had a period actually where I couldn't work at all in medicine for two years. And that was really challenging because, you know, I've been a doctor since I was, uh, what, 30 years old. So, you know, I had never gone a week without someone calling me Dr. Ross, you know. (laughs) That had to have been, you know, I'll kind of put a pause in the conversation here, but I just sold my franchise businesses Mm -hmm. this past fall. Did you, as a woman, anybody going through this, but I say as a woman, feel like Did you have to kind of really look to where your identity was? That's exactly it. Yeah. That's exactly what happened. It was like, if I'm not a doctor, then who am I? Right. You know, yeah, I'm a mom, but that's not my career. That's not all of who I am. And yeah, it was really a humbling experience, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah, I can relate because I just have been working through those same emotions, you know, over these past several months. Yeah. Well, anyway, you know, my love of working with women continued. I ended up doing a fellowship in Tucson. Yes. Near to where you are with Dr. Andrew Weil in integrative medicine. And, you know, that combined all the things that I'd always done in my practice in the women's centers. We had acupuncture and we had chiropractic and, you know, so it was like a holistic women's center, but I wanted to get, you know, the training. So I'd have all the credentials, you know, to do it. So I did a two-year fellowship in Tucson and then ended up taking a job as the head of the eating disorder program at Sierra Tucson. And again, it was my love of working with women and, you know, eating disorders primarily affect women. I also love working with men with eating disorders and addictions. But, you know, for me, I think as kind of a feminist from the 60s, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I really feel that women's energy is sapped by their focus on or our focus on our external appearance. You know, Mm -hmm. this desire to please other people, to be thin, to have the perfect body, you know, this drive for perfect Mm -hmm. perfection, you know, physically is, I think it has taken a lot away from the contributions that women can make in the world. And so it's kind of a, you know, I love the medical part of it, but I also love seeing women kind of grow into their own when they are no longer so overly focused on 
you know, their food obsessions or their body image issues, that they can actually go after their dreams. Right. You know, you think about the energy that is taken away, you know, that when you have everything focused in on this drive of whatever that addiction, whatever those thoughts are, you know, so focused right there, that this other side that God created you to be, this whole purpose that you have to be here is completely ignored. And also the kind of soul satisfaction that we can derive from really being authentically who we were meant to be. And I think that's what's really driven me to continue working in this field because when people are able to get free of the chains, Mm -hmm. you know, of food obsessions and worrying about how they look and their body image issues, it's just amazing the kinds of things they do. I had a patient with really, really severe anorexia at one point and you know, I wasn't sure she was going to live. She was mm-hmm. so underweight and, you know, her mind was so consumed. 90% of her thoughts and energy were consumed with anorexia. But little by little, she got better and better and she went back to school. She got a degree in psychology, child psychology. And now she is one of the leading therapists working on eating disorders in children. Isn't that? Yeah, it's just amazing. I love stories like that. You know, when you, because I shared some personal, you know, information with you before we got started on the recording that, you know, I'm within a 12-step program myself and that's part of it. You know, we need to give back. We need to turn backwards and pull those along with us and bring them along. That's part of, you know, our recovery and what a blessing for you to have been part of that. That's awesome. Yeah. And that's just one of so many stories. And, you know, I've worked with a lot of people with opiate addiction Mm -hmm. and I could just tell you, you know, a gazillion stories about that too, you know, sure. how when addiction is, as you know, when it's no longer part of your life, you have so much space mm-hmm. to really do the things you've always wanted to do. So absolutely. It's a rewarding career. It's hard. And I constantly have to be working on my balance and making sure I don't let stress overwhelm me, you know, sure. Sure. Because I have that history that it can. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's stay on the addiction for just a moment. I mean, I know that this podcast is not, you know, we're the toxin side of it, but I want to talk to you a little bit about what has changed because we're talking about stress. And, you know, I know when I went through treatment personally myself, it was a 30 day program. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it took me, I think it was like 49 or 50 days to (laughs) complete the program because I'm a little stubborn. (laughs) But today, it's so different. Mm -hmm. Today, it's so different. And I think that leads us into your creation of your 12-week program because... Yeah, it really does because I I worked in more, like I told you, in Sierra Tucson. Then I Mm -hmm. worked as a consultant for several other treatment programs. I don't know, how many years ago, maybe five years ago, I worked at a program in Colorado. And I just became so frustrated with this... You say things have changed, Mm -hmm. but in many ways, they've stayed the same. Everybody is still focused on the 30-day program or even less. I mean, insurances are not sometimes only paying for detox. And there you have someone who is really sick and, you know, could die. 
and you can't really treat them fully. And I got so frustrated with that. I remember just driving back home and I had a long commute. Mm -hmm. So I had plenty of time to (laughs) cry in my beer, so to speak. (laughs) But I was so angry because just noticing, you know, like all the things that I know would work and that I know would help people and how it's not possible for me to do those things because of the way everything is set up. And I just kept thinking, there's got to be a way, there's got to be a way. And I started, you know, searching around. And to make a very long story short, I met someone who told me about telemedicine. And I thought, okay, this is it. Because now I'm not limited to just working with people who are in California or Colorado. You know, I can work with people all over the world and, you know, I can do all the things that I know work, you know, like dealing with the emotional side of the eating issue. Mm -hmm. Speaking of toxins in my emotional eating workbook, there's, I think, a whole chapter on detoxing body, mind, spirit, emotions, etc. And I think it's really important that people be able to identify the root cause of their problem rather than just treating the symptom. The symptom is, you know, maybe I'm living in a larger body and I don't like that. Or the symptom is, you know, I think I'm bloated or I'm happy with how I look or I, you know, whatever those are, I'm obsessing and worrying about food all the time. Mm -hmm. But that's just really the tip of the iceberg. Most everything else is beneath the surface. And that is what happened to you when you were a child and Mm -hmm. how you were raised and, you know, what kind of experiences you've had as an adult and how have you adapted to all of that? Right. Well, and that leads us into this whole, you know, I believe 100% that part of living a toxin-free lifestyle has to do with emotions and mental health. You know, our words, our thoughts are, you know, what's going on inside here is what's going to be created on the outside world. And so what do we do with all this? And you talked about detoxing it, but I like how I watched something, I think it was through your website where you talked about belief systems. And then you talked about the trauma and the past hurts. I think it's the five. The five levels of recovery. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. And you went into the emotions. And so do you want to talk to us a little bit about? Sure, I'd love to. Yeah. Okay. Because it's emotions play such a huge role in not... The emotions play everything into the behavior and into what decisions we're going to make because you can know in your head that something is not good for you. But if you have all those old tapes and you have all that old stuff still in there, even though you know it's wrong, you're still going to make the wrong choice. Is that making sense? Yeah, that's making a lot of sense. So the five levels that you're talking about, and by the way, people can get a copy of the ebook. It's just a tiny little ebook about the five levels at yourfoodbattle.com yourfoodbattle.com if you want to put that in the show notes. But is that Y-O-U-R, your? Yeah, foodbattle.com. Perfect. And they can download that for free. But basically it's talking about what different phases people need to go to to really be in recovery. And I kind of discovered this as I was working with people with addictions and eating disorders. I see a lot of people who could stop their drinking or stop their use of opiates or stop anorexia behaviors, but they still weren't well. 
you know, they weren't, <laughs> you know, the whole story about the dry drunk, you know, who's still angry and, uh, you know, acting out and, mm-hmm. but maybe not drinking, right. you know? Oh, so that, that's why I started working on these levels. And so the first level is the level of superficial behavior. So that's where the addictions come in, mm-hmm. food obsessions, depression, anxiety, binging, purging, etc. And that's what gets everybody's attention because it's more obvious. You can see it. You can see it, right. But like I said, it's the tip of the iceberg. And underneath that is what I call the emotional soup. And those are emotions that most people are not aware of. They're not noticing. And when they have a feeling come up, the first thing they do is self-medicate with food (laughs) or drugs or alcohol, they try to push that feeling down because those feelings, you know, often come from deep, deep places where they've been pushing them down for a long, long time. Do you feel like too, and I don't mean to interrupt, but you know, I have 12 grandkids and I watch even because I feel like the way I grew up was you don't express emotions unless it's a good emotion, right? Mm -hmm. You can express happiness and laughter all you want, but the crying, the tears, the sadness, the anger, that's not to be expressed. And I think that's common with a lot of my patients with eating disorders and addictions. And so, you know, they learn to suppress it in whatever way they can. Right. And then they forgot why they started doing the things they're doing. So that second level with the emotional soup, the emotions drive the behaviors. Mm -hmm. So if all you do is stop drinking or stop, you know, overeating, you still have all these emotions. What are you going to do with them? Got to do something with them. And so part of the program is helping people learn how to manage and identify those emotions. It sounds so simple, but it's really not. I mean, I've worked for months with some of my patients who were raised, as you were saying, Mm -hmm. just to acknowledge that they're angry. Yeah. They can't say they're angry. I'm right with you on that. I remember, well, I'm one of your, you know, dry drunk people. It took, I think I was sober for 13 years before I felt a true inner peace, 13 years. But I remember counselors and my mentors and my sponsors saying, you know, how do you feel? And I'm like, I don't know. I honestly didn't know. I didn't know how to put an identifying word onto how I felt. It was like, can I just say bleh? Because that's how I felt. (laughs) Yeah. And that's so common in people with addictions and eating disorders. So that's why I think it's so important for people to be able to learn to identify emotions Mm -hmm. and learn how to manage and regulate their emotions. Because a lot of people get flooded when they start allowing the feelings to come up, it's overwhelming, you know? So you have to learn how to regulate that. And, you know, many people learn that when they're children, you know, when you're two years old and you fall out on the floor, like my kids used to do and start kicking and screaming, you know, hopefully someone takes you aside and said, now this is I understand you're upset. Tell me what you're upset about. And they let them vent those emotions. But many parents are trained to say, you shouldn't be doing that. That's bad. You're a bad boy. You know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's how many of us were raised, right? I was raised. We were seen and not heard. Yeah. You know, you know, that's how we were raised is you're just seen and not heard. (laughs) That's hard. Mm -hmm. So it's no wonder if you grow up that way 
that a person would turn to alcohol or to food as a way to deal with how that felt. Oh, sure. You know, just hearing you talk about it, it makes my heart ache because I think of all the little children, you know, my own little children, other little children I've been around. And, you know, how could you shut down a child? I mean, they are pure joy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. When I look at my grandkids, you know, it's just to allow them to express and, you know, going through being a grandparent now and going through what I've gone through, realizing that at the different stages they all are, how it changes and how they have these intense emotions. Mm -hmm. And in the beginning, they don't even know what it is and how Mm -hmm. to handle it and how to deal with it. And it's like, and it's so fun watching them navigate through that. Yeah. And learning. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, so the third <laughs> level, so we had the superficial behaviors, right. then the emotional soup. And then the third level is the level of core beliefs. So when you're told that you should be seen and not heard, your little child mind forms a belief that, okay, if they're saying this to me, then that must mean something about me. Right. Like I'm not a good person. I'm not lovable. I'm worthless. You know, I shouldn't have a voice. All of these are the core beliefs. Mm -hmm. Just think of another, you know, say a parent dies Mm -hmm. when the child is very young. They may make the wrong leap and think, oh, well, she, my mom abandoned me because I'm no good. Mm -hmm. And then they live with that belief. It becomes unconscious, but they still live with that belief for the rest of their lives. Right. So, So that's the core belief really gets down to the root cause of why we do the things we do. If you feel that no one will love you unless you're thin because your dad called you Miss Piggy growing up or, you know, kids bullied you at school because of your weight. So if you have that belief, then of course, Mm -hmm. you're going to try to do everything you can to get love because we all need that. Right, right. I mean, that's a basic human need. So the core beliefs always are about getting a basic human need met. Right. You know, it could be a fear of failure. So wanting to succeed, wanting to be loved, wanting to be protected, wanting to be safe. All of those are what's behind the core beliefs. And then, so the core beliefs then make you feel a certain way because if you feel like you're worthless, Mm -hmm. that can make you feel ashamed or guilty or, you know, whatever. So you can see how they, I see it as puzzle pieces in a way, you know, that one fits into the next. Absolutely. And you can see how, and those core beliefs, I think what the listeners need to understand is sometimes Sometimes those core beliefs are things that you don't even, you're not consciously aware that it's your core belief. Does that make sense? Yeah, they they become unconscious. You forget about it. Something happened to you when you were three. Many people don't even remember. Right. Let alone remember how they felt or what they thought. Right. But it's certainly dictating your actions and behaviors all through life until you get to that and figure that out so that you can stop because subconsciously that tape is playing over and over and over. That's exactly right. It's like background noise. We don't notice it, but it's constantly affecting us, you know? Yeah. So anyway, that's the third level. And then the fourth level is body connection. 
So for many people with eating disorders and addictions, they are living in their head, you know, like I'm a bad person, that person hates me, why are they judging me? You know, it's constant thoughts. And what we want to do is reconnect them to their body because when you've been traumatized as a child or, you know, when you have emotions, all of that comes from the body. Mm -hmm. We think it comes from the head. You know, we think like when we're angry, it's all in the head, but it's not. It's really mostly in the body. And certainly your body is your early warning signal for emotions. And it's, as many of the trauma specialists say, the body carries the trauma. That's so interesting. So that really lies in, you know, there's a school of thought with physical ailments. And that's a lot of what I deal with, that there are always an emotional, Mm -hmm. there's an emotion behind it that is, you know, for instance, one that strikes me is that diabetes, the emotion behind diabetes is grief. Mm. You know, it's driven by grief, you know, so there's a lot of things that you can take a look at that might be driving what your body is physically reacting to. Yeah. And that's hard for people to hear often because, you know, it means they're to blame. Right. But when I was healing over the, you know, seven, eight years it took me to heal from chronic fatigue syndrome, I really recognized that fully that, you know, a lot of what I was going to started when I was eight years old, you know, and I can tell you this incident and that and so on. And I may have had therapy, but I didn't completely heal. And so these things were coming up as an opportunity for me to heal. I actually had an interesting thing happen to me when I was sick. Someone contacted me and said, oh, you know, you're looking for ways to get better from this. I said, yeah, yeah. And they started telling me about people who had had miraculous healings. Uh And I don't mean like all religious. Some of them were Mm -hmm. religious, but some of them were from alternative therapy. Mm -hmm. Some of them were going to Mexico to clinics there and so on. So I started interviewing these people. And just as you were saying, the first thing I heard all of them say is that, their illness was kind of a call to action for them to change something in their lives. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, I'm writing a book right now and one of the chapters I'm I'm writing about, I can't talk tonight, is are you listening to your body when it's gently nudging you? You know, because our body is talking to us all the time. Exactly. And sometimes it's just giving you that little tap like, hey, hey, we're just a little off here. You need to pay attention. And do you catch it then or when it's whispering, yeah. you know, or do you have to wait for it to be screaming at you? <laughs> exactly. Oh, you and I are sisters from another mother or <laughs> whatever they call that. <laughs> but anyway, so I want to get back. We have one yes. level, one level left. Yes, so we, let's get through our levels. <laughs> superficial behaviors. Then we went to emotional soup and then we went to core beliefs. And then we went to body connection. And the fifth one, the final one is soul satisfaction. And that's whatever that means to you, whatever, you know, it could be fulfilling a dream that you had to be a nurse and you got derailed because of your addiction or your eating disorder, or it may mean traveling or volunteer work or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. gives you a sense of awe and fills your heart. And that is the deepest kind of recovery you can have when you have that hook 
into life. The problem is, is that a lot of people who have addictions and eating disorders, their problems started when they were really little. And so many of them haven't developed like, okay, well, here's my career dream or here's my, you know, I want to have kids when I grow up. So it can be difficult, especially for the younger clients to find that, but they need that hook Mm -hmm. into life or else there's really no reason for them to go through the work because, you know, recovery's work. Oh, it's not easy. It's no. not a walk in the park. <laughs> it is. Well, 13 years, that's how stubborn yeah. I am. <laughs> you know? By yeah. golly, I'm not going to do everything you tell me to do because, you know, I know a better. I know better. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. I know better. That's the mind of addiction. I know better. You can't tell me. <laughs> yeah, that, you know, and it served me very well as an entrepreneur. <laughs> well, and isn't that the interesting part? Because, you know, like one of my friends who was herself an anorexic and became a therapist, she said that her perfectionism, which is one of the traits associated with anorexia, was a problem for her in her anorexia. It made her the most perfect anorexic, Mm -hmm. but it almost killed her. But when she was in recovery, it made her a great businesswoman. You know, she could do attention to details. She could manage the finances, all of that. So, Mm -hmm. but when you reach that level of soul satisfaction, your passion, your bliss, then everything flips. And now your core beliefs are in alignment with your soul satisfaction, your body connection, your emotions, they all line up behind that purpose. And I always tell my patients, when your life becomes more important and more interesting to you than your eating disorder or your addiction, then you will fully be in recovery. Because, you know, like I bet you hardly think or maybe don't think at all about the kind of stuff you used to think about. Oh, my God. Because you're too busy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and, and so very true. And I always say, you know, again, I believe 100% that what's going on inside in between those two ears is what we are going to create and manifest outside. Mm -hmm. And whatever you give attention to, you know, I don't care what it is. If it's an addiction, if it is an eating disorder, if it is, you know, someone you're not getting along with, it's at a relationship issue. If it's a conversation you had with someone and you replay it over and over and over in your mind, you are now giving so much power to that. That's exactly right. You know, and you're not allowing the healing to occur. Yeah. And I think the reason that I've been so successful in working with people with food and body image issues is, you know, I have this system. I know inherently and intuitively where they have to go. They can't see it. And sometimes people get frustrated. Well, you know, the results aren't there. I don't see it. But I can see it clearly because I've taken so many people down the path, just like I'm sure you have. Absolutely. And that's why we need the community. That is why we so need to be surrounded by, we need the people behind us. We need the people ahead of us, you know, that we need all of that because that person who's walked the path before us 
like you said, is able to see exactly where someone is going and what they're doing and how things are going to manifest. And, you know, I love it. I just absolutely love it. And I can tell, you know, I know that there's going to be parts of this that people will be able to go on YouTube and see. And for our listeners, you're just going to have to trust me when I say that um, Dr. Ross's face is just so lit up when she talks about identifying, you know, where someone is in that path, you know, can tell that it really means. It truly is my soul satisfaction. It's my passion, this work that I'm doing. And it's really been a hard startup. So I've, you know, had many thoughts about, should I be doing this? You know, I'm not making any money. I'm going broke, (laughs) (laughs) but I can't stop because I love it. I love it so much, you know? So I hope to goodness that at some point God will bless me with a little income that I can use to support myself (laughs) in my old age, you know. (laughs) I understand completely. And I truly believe that when we have such a servant heart, you know, that it is, we just have to keep, he keeps our path straight. He keeps our path straight. When we're walking the good walk, he keeps our path straight. So if nothing more, I hope I get a little star on the walk of fame in heaven up there, you know, like, you know, like the Hollywood star. I won't ever have a Hollywood star, but here you get to come this way. I, yeah, was, I, I, I remember being in, a, and we're going way off topic here, but this is kind of how my show goes. But I remember being in a Bible study with somebody and I'm like, is there different levels in heaven? Like, you know, <laughs> if I've lived a good life my entire life and I've made all the right choices and then, you know, the murderer, you know, the serial murderer who on his deathbed with his dying breath says, I believe in Jesus. Do we go to the same place? Yeah. Don't you think the answer is yes, though? because God always has a forgiving heart. It is. The answer is. That's what I love. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's by his grace alone. Yeah. And that's what I learned too. It's by his grace alone that we are saved. And I'm not meaning to take this into a religion context. It's not our works that we do here. It's not our works that we do here, you know, but when we have Jesus in our heart, you know, we want to live a better life. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah. We want to turn around. Okay. So we talked about I also like you talk about, you know, your approach is different. You talk about food sensitivities. Mm-hmm. You know, when we're dealing with toxins, and if we've got just a few more minutes before we wrap it up, because our food sensitivities really do deal a lot with, you know, toxicity to our bodies. And I think everybody has a different body chemistry. Right. And just because one person has a food sensitivity, it doesn't mean everyone does, right? Right. And not only that, Even with the person who has a food sensitivity, you know, when you heal your gut, for example, you heal your emotions, a lot of times foods that were intolerable for you become okay. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there are ways to build up your own structure of your body, build up your immunity and your resistance and all of that and so on. But yeah, I've had many of my patients who are have binge eating disorder or compulsive overeating or food addiction in particular who have the very foods they crave are the ones they are most sensitive to. And it's not all gluten. Mm-hmm. It's not all dairy, you know. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes it can be, you know, green beans yeah. or I had one woman, it was romaine salad. And I said to her, well, do you even eat romaine salad? Because I can't even think of the times I've had a romaine salad. And she said, yeah, that's the only lettuce I eat. <laughs> and then she had a sensitivity. 
I do too. Romaine and iceberg lettuces. Oh, okay. Yeah. Neither one of those I can eat, but all other lettuces, we're good. You're fine. Yeah. And so I think the testing has gotten a lot better for that and it helps people a lot. Um, I don't use it as much with people who are restricting their food intake a lot because we know that they're so malnourished that these sensitivities will show up just because their immunity is low and their, you know, cytokines are being popped off because of stress and malnutrition. So, right. but certainly for people with binge eating, compulsive overeating, food addiction, which is the kind of people I have in my program, sometimes food sensitivities can be very useful if you know you have one. Mm-hmm. It kind of like you probably already know that that's a problem for mm-hmm. you, but you keep thinking, well, maybe it's not really, you know, I'll just cut down. <laughs> And then if you see it in black and white, it really does make a change for most people. Right. You know, it does. So, right. Another one of the things that you offer out or you talk about with your program is some coping mechanisms. And you have, you know, five ways of either looking at stress or dealing with stress. You know, what do you see with your experience? Because stress is another one of those huge toxins in our life. Absolutely. Can you leave us, you know, with some sure maybe top three suggestions on ways to deal with stress? Well, how about I just take you through one of those things that I do with my clients? Would you mind? I would love it. It won't take long. I promise it won't take long. So for anyone who's listening and feels comfortable just closing their eyes and sitting in a comfortable place, uncross your hands and legs, and then just take a deep breath in through your nose and out through your mouth. And now take another deep breath and direct that breath to the top of your scalp and down the back of your neck and breathe out tension, tightness, fear, worry. Now breathe in again and direct that breath into your shoulders, your chest, and your upper back. And just release any toxins that are in your muscles. Just release any emotions that are stuck, that are tightening your shoulders, allow your shoulders to fall away from your ears. Now taking another deep breath into your belly, your lower back and your hips. And again, releasing discomfort, releasing dis-ease. And now deep, deep breath all the way into your thighs, the backs of your legs, your knees, your shins, your ankles, and out through the tips of your toes. Now just breathe in and feel the energy of your breath lighting up every cell in your body. You may feel warmth or tingling. You may feel a buzzing sensation, but just feel that going from your feet all the way up your legs, your trunk, your chest, your head, and just feel the energy of life-giving breath cleansing, relaxing, and calming. Just allow any thoughts that come to mind to be like a leaf on a stream moving away. You don't have to stop them. And now as you breathe in, all of those 
cells are lighting up. And you can see the yellow glow around your body. And that energy of your breath, again, is cleansing, releasing toxins, calming stress, relaxing. And just enjoy that feeling of being lit up from the inside out, from the energy of your breath. Know that you can come back to this state of relaxation anytime you want by just breathing in through your nose and out through your mouth. Slowly take another deep cleansing breath and then bring yourself back to the place where you are and open your eyes whenever you're ready. What did you think? That's amazing. I love breath work. I just love yeah, it. Yeah, me too. And I love doing uh, guided meditations. I do that a lot with my clients. It helps you to access some of that unconscious stuff in a really gentle way. So I like how you had, you know, lighting up from the inside out, mm-hmm. you know, and being able to see that light and feel the tingling turning that light on. That was really cool. That was a cool experience. Well, I hope your listeners will take the opportunity to actually do the process. Not while they're driving, of course. But. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Please yeah. be somewhere else. But hey, we've got it recorded so we can come back yeah. to this anytime. Mm-hmm. I love it. So if our listeners want to get a hold of you, mm-hmm. what is going to be some of the best ways for them to find you? Through my website, and that's anchorprogram.com. So A-N-C-H-O-R program.com. You can contact me through there. And I do offer a free consult. Even if you don't sign up for my program, I will tell you what I think would work the best for you and give you the benefit of my, I'm not going to say how many decades of experience. (laughs) We don't want to go there, do we, Amy? (laughs) We're not going there, but we can see it's vast expertise. How yes, about thank that? you. My vast, I'm going to borrow that. My vast expertise. There you go. <laughs> this year has been fun talking to you. I love that. You have been such a joy and such a blessing. And thank you for providing us that guided meditation, that breath work. You're welcome. I just don't even feel like I can talk now. I'm so like, Ugh, <laughs> oh, that's a good sign. I like that. <laughs> Thank you for your time and thank you for just, you know, pouring into us. I so appreciate you. Thank you, Amy. I appreciate you too. That's all for this episode of The Toxin Terminator. And we hope we've helped you remove the hidden toxins in your life for renewed health. If you're looking to continue your journey towards full rejuvenation, reach out to Amy directly by visiting amycarlson.com for your own one-on-one chat session, as well as your free toxic risk assessment. That's A-I-M-E-E carlson.com. And remember, you are just one small change away from renewed health.